everyone. Good morning and welcome to the March 14th, 2019 edition of the Colorful Plates podcast. Thank you for tuning in. As promised, today's podcast features Jamie's full interview with Chef Hugh Atchison. James Beard Award winner, author, successful restaurateur, top chef judge, and founder of Seed Life Skills Program. These are just a few ways to describe Hugh Atchison and Janie sat down with Hugh to talk about his passion for Southern cuisine, his relationship with fresh produce, and how he continues to keep things interesting in the kitchen. What inspired you to become a chef? I think it was a number of things, but uh, it was the it was the first thing that I was noticeably great at. Yeah, um, I was just not very great at school. I come from a very academic family, mm-hmm. um, but school just wasn't my thing. So I started working very young and uh, just got really into this sort of science and study of food and the history of it. And yeah, just this sort of language of food. So you're Canadian born and you have a background in Italian and French cuisine, but you're known for your Southern cooking. So what keeps you driven to expand the culinary range? I mean, you're, you're all over the board, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think that in this day and age, food is what you make it wherever you are. And I just happen to live in the American South and have for a very long time now. So sort of in doing contrasting and overlaying French technique and Italian technique onto the Southern larder is a really interesting thing to me. But then mm-hmm. also like the, the history of Southern food has got a lot of depth and dynamics to it. Uh, and, and so it's, it's kind of an endless topic, which is, yeah. is good for my personality of just always wanting to learn something new. Tell us a little bit about your approach with working with fresh produce suppliers. Like, how do you go about acquiring produce? Who do you use? How, what's that process like for you? You know, we broker through um, a smaller produce tr- distributor uh, based out of Atlanta called the Turnip Truck. Uh, and then we, we focus a lot on uh, acquisition directly from small farms in our region. And then, you know, obviously a lot of the basics and even some of the plate centric stuff comes from larger distributors as well. You know, some somewhat the Cisco's of the world, but not yeah. really for focused and quality ingredients, but that's more for, you know, onions and carrots and things like that are going to come from bigger distributors, but, uh, you know, center of the plate, not carrots or uh, spring vidalias will come from smaller purveyors or directly from farms. But, yeah. you know, we're we're in the south. So if I'm going to buy artichokes in early spring and uh, an abundance of fava beans and things like that, then I'm probably going to broker through a larger distributor. So your book, The Broad Fork, takes a deep dive into seasonal goodness and local produce. Um, what inspired you to write a book to educate readers on how to cook from farmer's market produce? Well, um, we subscribed to, at that point in time, uh, subscribed to a CSA box. And the box would come every week and have a, a array of stuff in it from a local farm called Woodland Gardens. And a lot of people constantly ask me, because I was the chef around town, what to do with a lot of this stuff. And the uh, subscription all in the CSA farm was probably about 250 strong, so it's a fairly substantial amount of people. But asking questions like, well, what do you do with kohlrabi or what do you do with Jerusalem artichokes and... Uh, abundance yeah. of leeks or at one point in time do you begin to put up the white flag on no more lettuces or cabbage. So I just wanted to expand people's ability to look at food in the way that I look at food of, you know, not hinging yourself completely to a recipe, but really coming up with an abundance of technique around vegetables. But that never, you know, vegetable world and produce world is constantly expanding. You know, last year we worked with a company out of California doing a lot of work with broccoli leaves. and 
you know, so, but somebody has got to steer the discussion a little bit on what, what you do. If, if that's a new product that used to be thrown out or compost or whatever it is that somebody has got to be there to spearhead the campaign to say, well, this is the abundant things you can do. This is how you need to, this is the logic behind it. You need to look at it like. Uh, collard greens or shaved into slaws or whatever. And that's where I think that I'm good at those things. What fruits and vegetables are you currently working with and you're excited about and why are you excited about them? You know, right now is still kind of the, it's kind of winter. So Mm -hmm. lots of citruses and uh, Meyer lemons really uh, bright and abundant on our menus right now. We love kumquats that we're at the end of the season on those. Uh, a lot of brassicas. I think cabbage is, you know, cabbage is an amazing, amazing vegetable. And I think we've seen that there are a number of vegetables in the past 10 years or so that are are having a comeback or getting play that they never really got before. Just because the um, finally America kind of learned how to cook vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, cabbage used to be that mushy vegetable that nobody liked that kind of was you know, a little rank and uh, yeah. overcooked usually. But but now, you know, if we can develop crispness and, and texture in those things that we change the angle on which Americans perceive those things. So yeah. that and Brussels sprouts have changed abundantly. I think we're still using a lot of those this time of year. Um, really beautiful types of broccoli and, and cauliflower and different varietals of cauliflower and things like that are great right now. But, you yeah. know, it's uh, in within two weeks. All of that will change as spring comes in and we'll be on to asparagus and Jerusalem artichokes and fava beans and the first, you know, first blueberries and green strawberries will come in. How, how do you keep up with tre- food trends? And do you like to go along with those trends or do you kind of just do se- a seasonal menu? Um, how, how how do you go about that? I don't think we follow the trends necessarily. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'm always going to be influenced by things I read and things I see and things I eat that are impressive and different, you know, that I hope to always be ahead of the curve a little bit. You know, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're talking about, you know, the trend of quinoa, um, yeah. you know, as we were cooking quinoa way back when, just because it's a easy grain to cook, it's rich in protein. It's really interesting grain, it's actually not even a grain, but um, so, you know, all those things and, Trends in food change pretty quickly. And I think the trends people talk about in food are different in my perspective from mass market America. Just because, yeah. you know, we're we're immersed in it all the time. We're not suddenly looking at, you know, I don't know what a good example is, but green zebra tomatoes as being like a new product that we've been using them for 10 years, you know, so 15 years. Yeah. So you're, you're pretty much, you're, you're kind of making the trends, experimenting with new product, right? Yeah. Experimenting with new product and reading about, reading about the history of food. And, you know, a lot of new product is stuff that was used in totally different ways years and years ago. Food trends are often pushed by uh, the economics of running restaurants and the economics of food. Uh, when protein becomes outlandishly expensive and is beyond our capacity to serve a 14-ounce steak for $35, which is just not possible anymore, at that point in time, we had to learn how to make a $14 carrot salad that we could sell to the world. And that needs great carrots, but it also needs a lot of technical acumen to make it great. Okay. So... 
what are the challenges that a fine dining chef would face versus a fast casual? And like, how would a fast casual chef stay creative, basically, because they're kind of doing the same thing every day? Yeah, I mean, I think in this world of cooking culture, you need to be inspiring people and encouraging people and creating a work, great work environment. I don't think that that changes uh, low end to high end restaurants. I don't I think it changes from fast casual to fine dining. Um, I think that, you know, the the impetus to do great is is the main factor and mm-hmm. the, the want to push the envelope a little bit. And nobody's, you know, fast casual restaurants are built on uh equations of food that can make money to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. I mean, fine dining is too. It's just more emphasis is placed on hopefully selling really expensive wine to pay the mortgage. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but it's a really similar idea, but you know, I think that the, the biggest push for chefs and fast casual is to realize that, um, a lot of fine dining chefs are very envious of, of fast casual these days. That's why they're all trying to come up with the, the next, you know, um, sweet green or something like that. Talk a little bit about your, the seed life skills program. Can you give us a little brief explanation on that and, uh, yeah. why that was started? Yeah. It, uh, it started about four years ago and, uh, it's seedlifeskills.org. And it's an organization that I started uh, through a foundation that, uh, seeks to better home economics curriculum in middle schools. So grade six, seven, eight, we're just contemporizing and rewriting home economics curriculum. So it's actually a full curriculum online. People can download anywhere. It's been downloaded thousands and thousands of times around the world. It's live in our county. Uh, so four middle schools here, but it teaches kids. It kind of atomizes uh, life skills down to building blocks. If I can teach a kid 12 points of culinary technique that that they can then arrange in different ways throughout their life, but that they know those core techniques. I'm teaching them the life skills, teaching them recipes is kind of recipes are predetermined. They're not, it's not making one think about how you could adapt a skill set to be used in a slightly different way or combine two skills and techniques to come up with something different. So when we talk about cooking skills, we're talking about like, how do you make a vinaigrette? How do you roast a chicken? How do you make a salad? How do you make yeah. a soup? So those are all technique-based stuff. And because it, it really whittles down, to, and there's a lot of other stuff about using things and um, recycling and sustainability and the idea of growing and planting. And all of that just gets into this notion that I want to give kids some retainable knowledge that when they get to 18, 19, 20, the most difficult lot years of life because you're trying to figure it out, yeah. Trying to figure out where you're going next and what you're doing. I want to just make make it easier for them to get through some of the hurdles in life and be able to nourish and sustain themselves and those around them. I want them to be able to say three magic words. I got this. Yeah, I'm 32 and I wasn't taught. I I didn't have a home economics. I just kind of had to learn on my own. My husband's same and he doesn't know how to cook broccoli at this point. But, uh, <laughs> so yeah, like, I mean, come so on. Many people, yeah, so many people were like, can you make a course like that for adults? And yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. It's like, you know, it, but if I, if I can teach somebody how to poach an egg, it's like, do you know how life changing that is? If you can properly always know how to cook a great piece of complex protein that costs 30 cents. 
Yeah. But you can actually cook it perfectly and then make a salad dressing and a little salad to go with it and you're done. So this, yeah. this, it's pulling the veil off of food because the food world's put this artificial fancy chef hat on everything. They said that, you know, food's complicated. Let us do it. And, but the truth in the most economical way of living is actually still cooking from scratch because no matter how much a happy meal costs, I can make you something better for you for half the price in half the time. And, but people just have to learn that convenience has taken a toll and that doing things from scratch is actually not that difficult. Yeah, it, it isn't. And once you understand minimal techniques, it, it gets a lot easier. I totally, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, okay. So you, what's next for you? What do you have coming uh, up? I think I want a to lot? Change, <laughs> change lanes and become a dental hygienist or something. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, lots. Uh, you got, uh, one podcast on the go right now that's been a lot of fun and working on a bunch of consulting and writing a book on sous vide cooking. Oh, wow. Fun. Um, then writing a book on how to teach kids to cook. So oh, that's great. Yeah. So we're, we're doing a lot of things. Always lots of irons in the fire. Hugh has developed his own style of cooking, emphasizing his love for the versatility of Southern cuisine paired with a European flair. His go-getter attitude and fresh look at the versatility of food is inspiring. Keep an eye out for his next cookbooks to hit the shelves. Thank you so much to Hugh for taking the time to speak with Colorful Plates about your view on culinary and your upcoming endeavors. We will see you guys next week. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. And as always, stay fresh.